Uh, Psalm 23, or turning there in a physical Bible, if you have one of those. I'll remind you uh, why we've called the series Songs That Shape Us. Um, it's, it's because that's what the Psalms are, right, guys? Uh, they're songs that were meant to be sung by God's people. And as they sing them, uh, God would effectively be giving his, word, uh, giving his people words to uh, describe him and themselves and the world around them. Uh, but one of the most remarkable parts of the Psalms is how they reach deeper than just concepts, right? They also talk about our very emotions. Uh, they shape how we're supposed to feel. They give voice to how um, what we experience, heartbreaks, successes, fears, desires. Uh, and in other words, Psalms, these Psalms that, that we've been going through are really songs for specific occasions, uh, the words that God has given us to sing when we are feeling certain ways. Um, and so tonight's psalm I thought was appropriate uh, because Psalm 23, I've called it a, a song for anxiety, a, a song for anxiety. Uh, I don't know about you guys, uh, but these past three weeks, I have been inundated with more data consumption in the past like three weeks than I may have been my whole life. Uh, I... Um, in the span of like two weeks, I've become like an expert epidemiologist, economist, political scientist. Like I have read like far and wide. I'm like, you know, all over all these things. Um, I've read articles and spent time like pondering and like hours thinking about how long this will last. Deep dives about how other countries like hour by hour handled their like coronavirus outbreaks uh, how many people are going to get infected? How many people are going to die? How, how are we going to properly grocery shop and not get others sick or get ourselves sick? How do we, um, what's going to happen to our economy uh, with people stuck at home? And, and what's going to happen in jobs? What's going to happen to my job? What's going to happen to my wife's job? Uh, if we're honest, right, I think all of us here can admit that uh, this is kind of an anxiety-laden time. Uh, you're probably asking your own questions as a student, Right. How will you do with online school? How are you going to pay for it? Uh, will your parents have jobs next month? Some of you are, these are very, very real questions you're asking. Um, will you have a job next month? Um, and there's a lot more. And for most of us, my guess is that our lives have been probably consumed uh, with the search for gaining control, with uh with trying to find some semblance of, uh, of control and power during this time where we feel really, really powerless. Um, and uh, you know what I've realized as I think about uh, what we're all kind of coming to understand um, about this time is that we don't really know. We don't really know uh, what's going to happen. Uh, and for some of you, that may be the most anxiety-inducing realization of all, uh, that you're not in control, uh, and that might be your, your greatest fear, that there are gears of this world that operate beyond your ability to control them, to have power over them, and uh, you may not have everything in your grasp to make yourself happy or live the way that you'd like, and uh Here's the bad news. Uh, the Bible makes the claim that we're only just now realizing what has always been true. That we have never been in control. In America, right, we have enough money and power 
and influence and free time and leisure that we can often feel our like fool ourselves into thinking that nothing can touch us, nothing can hurt us. Um, and this virus, honestly, if nothing else, it is a wake up call to the reality that that has never been true. Um, it wouldn't be true if tomorrow we gained all access back. It still would not be true because this tells us the real truth is that there are things out there that are more powerful than us. Um, it's not a, it's, it's not a new phenomenon. Uh, this pandemic is simply exposing our existing idols of control and shattering our sense of self-reliance. That's, that's what I think is probably happening in a lot of our hearts right now. Um, but here's the good news. That doesn't mean that the world is chaos, right? It doesn't mean that your life is just turning on a dime and, you know, you can just give in to uh, fear and failure. Um, in, in the face of that reality, the Bible also makes the claim in Romans 8 that something beyond our wildest dreams is also true, that God is in control. We are not, but he is. Uh, the question is, why is that good news? Why is it good news that God is in control? Well, that's, that's going to be our big question tonight. If you're playing along at home, big, big question to like hang your hat on this evening. We're going to think about uh, why is it good news that God is in control? Why is it good news that God is in control? Um, Psalm 23 is going to answer this question uh, in a way that only the Psalms know how, uh, through poetry, through imagery. Uh, so let's read that together. Uh, this is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Uh, dear God, uh, Lord, I pray that the, the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right, let's dive into Psalm 23 as we seek to answer the question, right? This big, big billboard question. Why is it good news that God is in control? Why is it good news that God is in control? Let's start by looking at verse one. Uh, look with me there. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. Uh, just that phrase, the Lord is my shepherd, uh, to begin talking about God uh, and his control over all things, the psalmist reaches for a metaphor that's super familiar uh, to him, right? So uh, it says that David wrote this psalm, but it would have been familiar to anybody in the agrarian society of Israel at the time. It's the shepherd. Uh, elsewhere in the psalms, God will be likened to a number of other positions, right? Like king or deliverer or even things like a rock or shield. Uh, but here, when the psalmist is considering what's, what is it like for God to have full control, he chooses the image of a shepherd. Um, and this is an incredible reality. 
because it means at least four, or sorry, uh, it means uh, one thing is true about God um, that's not true of those other metaphors. Um, a couple things are true about God that are not true of those other metaphors. First off, uh, a shepherd lives with his flock. It would have been it would have been uh, the norm at the time. If you were a shepherd, you were also a nomad. Uh, you would herd your flock, uh, sleep with them, wake with them, uh, walk with them. You spent your entire life uh, embedded amongst your flock uh, because your livelihood depended on it. Um, the shepherd went where the flock went. Um, he's never far from their distress or absent in times of their trouble. Uh, in fact, it's, it is not too much to say that uh, the shepherd's success is directly tied to the sheep's, uh, to the flock's well-being, right? Um, that uh, this first image of a shepherd is that he must be near. Uh, and then there's also the other realities of a shepherd that he is everything to his sheep, right? He is everything to them. He is their guide, right? He directs them where to go. He's their physician. Um, he's their protector. Uh, but of course, like this is only true of good shepherds, right? All this is only true if God is a good shepherd. That God is a shepherd uh, is is not so good news if he's a bad one, right? Um, surely there were uh, lazy shepherds, just like there have always been lazy workers who don't care and don't uh, strive to do their best with the things that have been entrusted to them. And so if God has the mentality that like, I don't know, he could lose a sheep or gain a sheep or whatever, it doesn't really matter, uh, then this is not good news that he's a shepherd, right? Uh, and so the psalmist describes what it's like to be a shepherd in God's flock. This is what he says it's like. Look with me at verse 3. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The shepherd leads his flock down the right paths. Uh, all the other images of this psalm, you know, not being in want, lying down in green pastures, a restored soul or like a renewed sense of life are all different ways of expressing this main point. This main point, uh, God leads his sheep down the right paths. Uh, we can conclude that God is the good kind of shepherd. He's the one who's attentive. He doesn't let them wander off. He doesn't let bad things befall them. Uh, and, and that's our answer to the first question. Why is it good news that God is in control? It's because he is a good shepherd. That's our first answer. Why is it good news that God is in control? Because he's a good shepherd. Um, but here's the thing, right? The psalmist doesn't end the picture at verse 3. Look with me at verse 4. Um, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Wait, valley of the shadow of death? Why would a, such a good shepherd lead his flock into a valley like this? Right, that should make us pause. Right? I thought we were talking about a good shepherd who leads us down the right paths. Well, here's the reality. Here's the kicker. Here's what this psalmist is telling us about uh, what it means to be the shepherd of, of a good, or to be, the sheep of a good shepherd. The dark valley is just as much one of God's right paths as are the green pastures. Let me say that again. The dark valley is just as much one of God's right paths as are the green pastures. That both of those are right paths in the mind of God. 
It is there that we come to know the shepherd's protection, right? That evil cannot befall the sheep. Um, we learn about the shepherd's rod. Um, this rod, we, when we think of a rod, we think of like a long steel pole or something. Um, the, the word in the Hebrew is actually like referring to uh, uh, like a cudgel, uh, which is like an old word too. It's like a, like a blunt instrument that a shepherd would use to literally like kill an animal. Uh, David would have used this right to like kill a bear. Um, so it's like a big blunt kind of like hammer, like looking thing. Uh, and you would beat off like wild animals that threaten your flock with this thing. Um, and, and it said that his rod is, is a comfort, right? And his staff, right? A staff would usually have been used by a shepherd to uh, just walk. Um, but occasionally if a sheep started to stray, uh, uh, the shepherd could use his, his staff to goad the sheep back in the right direction. Um, and, and here's, here's the thing. Uh, people in that society would have known uh, that uh, sheep were very, are very prone to do this. So I've not verified this myself because I don't raise sheep. Um, but uh, I had a, uh, a good buddy of mine who actually went to Scotland um, to uh, do an internship to be a pastor there. And while he was there, he actually made really good friends with uh, a man who is a literal shepherd. He actually like has sheep in his backyard. And he told me, he told him while he was there uh, that Psalm 20, yeah, I, some people are laughing. I'm like, yeah, it's a real thing. He like, there was a guy who like raises sheep and um, he would take uh, the, the reality of this, like uh, this staff is that uh, the way sheep are actually herded is that sheep are so obstinate, actually, when you like uh, try to lead them somewhere, they try to go the opposite direction. So when you take your staff, uh, you would actually like, if you want them to go like to the right, you would actually like nudge them to go to the left and they'll like fight against you and go to the right. Um, this is how prone sheep are to wandering is that even when you try to tell them where to go, they don't want to. And this shepherd, it says, like, is a comfort, right? That he, he doesn't give up on them, even though they might be wayward and wandering, that, that this shepherd, God, pursues his people, um, that he's not, he's not far off from them, and he protects them, um, even from themselves, even from their own wandering. Um, I'll leave uh, to dis you to discuss this in your groups, what this looks like in your own life, as you think about uh, the dark valley of you know, this time, what does it mean that God is a shepherd in this time? What does it mean that he is near to you? Uh, what does it mean that he is close by and caring for you? And that he is defeating your enemies, that he does not let anything conquer you. Um, that's for your groups to discuss. Uh, but... Um, Let's turn our attention to the second image uh, that the psalmist gives us uh, in answering why is it good news that God is in control. Look with me at verses five through six. Look with me at verses five through six. Uh, here the metaphor changes up, right? So he has been talking about a shepherd, um, but now he's talking about preparing a table, anointing a head with oil. We're probably not still in the same metaphor. I don't think he's doing these things for a sheep. Um, we're told that a table is being spread by God and a feast is to be enjoyed, right? Uh, preparing a table is the idea of uh, holding a feast. Um, there's festive oil. 
that's poured out on the psalmist's head, uh, which would have been a real delight uh, living in the arid Middle East. Uh, having your head doused with oil means that um, the cracking and the dry skin that you would experience is now salved. Um, there's uh, the beauty of also the fragrance that would uh, come from such a, a, an anointing. Uh, and then we're told that a, his cup Uh, This psalmist, uh, in the presence of God here, that his cup overflows uh, with drink. Uh, God has provided in abundance. This is not just like a, you know, this is not, um, you know, some Twinkies out of the closet. You know, this is like the full banquet, you know. Uh, This is not college kid party food. This is like, you know, like the the Mecca of, of feasts. Um, his cup is o- literally overflowing. Um, uh, have you guys ever been to like Olive Garden and the guy with the cheese is like spreading the cheese, like, and you have to tell them when it's like, if you said when and he was like, nah, you don't mean that <laughs> just like kept kind of going. Like that's what we are talking about when we think about this feast is that it's rich and abundant. Um, and yet, uh, enemies are present there. Uh, the Bible never takes enemies lightly. Uh, in 1 Peter 5, right, uh, Satan is described as a roaring lion who is seeking someone to devour. Uh, so what's happened here? Why are there enemies uh, that are present uh, before this table? Uh, this is actually a, a ritual that um, people have noted uh, throughout time that uh, occasionally you would capture the opposing king if you uh, were fighting in a war you would capture the opposing king and then you would have him like restrained and tied up and actually like brought in while you celebrated your victory feast in front of him it's it's to uh kind of like add insult to injury um one way to say it is that god is a very sore winner he he will gloat uh he has no problem not just beating your enemies, but then trouncing them into submission, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, this, this, uh, this picture is that these enemies can't do anything to harm you, so you can actually enjoy a feast right in front of them. Uh, and where does this feast take place, right? Where does it take place but in God's own house, Uh that, that God, according to verse 6, God's invited the psalmist over for a dinner feast, right? For a victory dinner, having triumphed over his enemies. And this is our second answer to the question, why is it good news that God is in control? Uh, because God is our victorious host. Because God is our victorious host. Um, so two answers tonight. Uh, why is it good news that God is in control? Because God is a good shepherd, because God is a victorious host. Uh, now, the question is, how can, how can that be true? How can God be a victorious host in the midst of a pandemic like COVID-19? It kind of feels like maybe he's losing, right? If you're looking around right now, you might say like, God, if you're so good, it feels like you're not doing the things I want, the good things that I would expect. It seems like the enemy is winning. Um, and, and for some of you, it particularly feels that way, uh, if it's your first year at college, you might feel like God's forsaken you in a time where you were supposed to be having like this amazing year and instead it's cut short and you never get this time back. Or it might be your last year, or even if it's your third year, whatever it is, right? You were supposed to be with your friends. It was supposed to be a good time. 
Uh, you're supposed to go to summer conference and sit on a beach and, you know, have play volleyball and just have a good time. Everything was supposed to come our way this semester, and yet it hasn't. Everything feels ruined. How uh, can God be throwing a victory feast in the midst of this time? Um, well, uh, the reality is it, sometimes these things happen imperceptibly. Uh, Maddie shared me uh, shared with me this post on Instagram. I don't know if some of y'all some of y'all may have already seen it, but I actually as like usually I think like posts on Instagram are like really kitschy, but I like something about I really really love this one. Um, it's a very powerful perspective about like what could be happening right now. So it's, it's two quotes, one's from Satan and one's from Jesus, kind of like a, a screw tape letters deal. If you've ever read that, this is what Satan says about this time. I will cause anxiety, fear, and panic. I will shut down businesses, schools, places of worship and sports events. I will cause economic turmoil. And then Jesus answers with these words, I will bring together neighbors Restore the family units. I will bring dinner back to the kitchen table. I will help people slow down their lives and appreciate what really matters. I will teach my children to rely on me and not the world. I will teach my children to trust me and not their money or material resources. God may be right now using even this time to gain a great victory for his own kingdom. Uh, Romans 8.28 tells us this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. We see this also in the life of Joseph. In Genesis 50, after his brothers have sold him into slavery, uh, and then when he, while he's a slave, he gets uh, carted off to jail for denying uh, a woman wanting to have adult- like commit adultery with him. Uh, and he's in jail for years and after all of that is done, he ends up at the right hand of Pharaoh and his brothers are, are, who sold him into slavery are right in front of him. And instead of being angry at them, he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. That in, in unperceptible ways, God was working through his life and can be working through our lives even now. So in some, in some way, uh, with God as our host, we can already be feasting. Um, and then full knowledge that like God is working all things for our good, um, that there are ways to still even be thankful now. But, right, in some ways, this feast is yet to come. Uh, there's also room for sadness and loss while the battle still wages. Um, we still live in a fallen world where there are tragedies where people die, um, as, where, where sadness um, creeps in and seems to have uh, victories. Uh, while even we may be winning the battle, the war isn't over, right? We still take losses. We still feel acutely like we're not winning, even if God says we are. And so we also anticipate this moment uh, as the final victory feast is talked about, um, that there's going to be a bigger feast, that this even this feast that the psalmist talks about tonight in, in Psalm 23 is a picture of a bigger feast to come. In Revelation 21, God tells us that at the end of all things, uh, it ends in a feast, that God will make his bride, his church, ready to meet him and be united with him forever, and that there will be a, a feast without end. And we know this feast is to come. We know that uh, the promise of this, that, that, that we will have ultimate victory is true because it's secured by Jesus' blood on the cross. 
Uh, not because of anything we've done as sheep, right? Or guests at God's feast, but because of what he has secured for us. If you're here tonight, um, if you're, you know, uh, uh, here tonight uh, and you're thinking to yourself, I, I, I don't know how this is going to end. I'm scared. I'm worried. Um, hear that good news. Take hold of that promise. Uh, put your faith in Jesus and what he has done. And God can assure you, the, the assurance is yours that this will end in a feast for you. Um, that God will work these things for your good. Even now, this is the best plan. Um, in this anxiety of time that God is calling us, he's calling us, right? Us, a generation of pain avoiders, you know, while we're all on our phones and do-it-yourselfers and pleasure seekers. He's calling us to trust in him as our good shepherd. He will hold you fast. Let's pray. Let's pray.